All right, 2 Peter. It's the last time we're going to read this this year, I think. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. You're, you should be very familiar with this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We begin the journey with faith. Faith comes from hearing the word. You were somewhere in your life at some point in time in your life, whether it was you grew up in church or you had friends that, that, that you know, invited you into their homes or, or whatever. Somewhere along the way, there, there was the faith that took place. You, you said, I want this Jesus. Faith comes from hearing. Maybe it was just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that's what you heard. We begin the journey with faith. And then there's these, these characteristics that, that we are to add to our faith in this increasing measure. As I grow, as I mature in my faith, I have to keep adding these things. It's not a step-by-step, step, let, me, let me hit one, check, let me hit another one, check, and move on and move on until I graduate. It, it's this, while I have breath in my lungs, while I can, can function as a, a human being, I am to be adding to my faith. All in the name of becoming like Jesus. And, and so this little symphony, if you will, begins with faith and it ends with love. Building on the foundation of faith in Christ, believers are to exhibit a certain Christ-likeness, if you will, by supplying these seven qualities that climax, that peak in love. Joby Martin is a minister, and I heard this definition one time about love. What exactly is love? We could give you the Greek. We've talked about all this stuff, right? We talk about love a lot here. It, it is our mission, after all. We're committed to loving one another. We're committed to loving God and one another. I should probably put in first. There you go, Michael. We're committed to loving God and one another in relationship. Right? That's our commitment. Talk about love. It's the backbone of the culture that we try to create that we desire here. And I heard Joby Martin say, love was this, my joy in the Lord expressed toward you at expense to myself. But that, like, that's the love that, that Peter's talking about here. My joy in the Lord. I delight in the Lord. I love God. But, but love for God doesn't happen without love for you. That's, that's how it works. Like, I, I don't get to just say, man, I love God, but you know what? I really just tolerate these people over here. That, that's not how the game works. Like, I cannot love God without loving the worst of my neighbors. My joy in the Lord expressed for you at great expense. To myself like that's 
like, that's like, ooh, let me hear that definition and sign me up. I want to be part of it. But that's what Peter is talking about. He's talking about this sacrificial love that only happens when I am willing to die to self. My my, my very life as a follower of Jesus really and truly is more about you than it is me. That's the approach that we're to take. In in John chapter 13, Jesus is doing a lot of talking. It's it's coming to to the end of his physical life here on earth. He's got his disciples. And they're gathered in this upper room, and he has spent a lot of intense time with them. He's done, he's done a lot of things. He's had a lot of very difficult conversations. And, and in John chapter 30, I want to, or 13, I want to read this for you. You can come up on the screen. You can follow along. We'll, we'll kind of set the scene after we read it. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him him in himself and glorify him at once. You haven't caught on yet? Glory? Kind of a theme in this passage. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter the spokesperson, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. All right, let me set the scene so that everyone understands the gravity of this command from Jesus. In, In verse 30, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. We're talking about Judas here. It, it, it's the conclusion of Judas being with Jesus and the, and, and the other 11. And, and they're sitting there. We've already washed the feet. We, 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 we've already had some other conversations. We're already eating and breaking bread together. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, the one I share this bread with, yeah, that's going to be the person that betrays me. And he looks at Judas. He says, do what you got to do and do it quick. Jesus took the bread and it says that the devil entered into his spirit. And he left quickly. 30 pieces of silver. Roughly $270. How dare Jesus do something like that? He didn't have to. You can imagine. I can imagine. We do it for a lot. Seconds after this command is spoken, there's another conversation that takes place. This time it's with Peter. Peter tells Jesus that, man, I'm ready to die with you. Hey, we want to go with you. Wherever it is you're going, we want to go with you. And Peter's like, I am ready to die for you. I'll protect you. I'll do whatever I need to do, Jesus. 
And, and I wonder the tone of Jesus when he replied to Peter. He crushes his little spirit with some truth. Not only are you not going to die for me tonight, you're going to deny that you even know me. I mean, can you imagine sitting there? You're Peter. You've walked on water. You, you went up the mountainside and you got to see Jesus change into some you know, supernatural light. Like, like, like you're, you're Peter. You're like on the inside group here. You're the one that has asked all the questions. I'm ready to die with you. Not only are you not going to die, you're going to deny that you even know me. Oh, not just once, Peter. Not just one time. Three times. Three times before the rooster crows in the morning, you are going to deny that you even know me. And I want you to think about this. Like, like I talked this conversation out yesterday. Uh, we, we, we had some people over to the house yesterday, and I was sitting outside. I had some meat smoking, and so I was sitting by my smoker, and, and I, like, I'm sure my family, if they saw me on the ring camera, would be like, man, what's Dad doing out there? I'm having this conversation to myself, you know, G Jesus and Judas, and then Jesus speaking, and then Jesus and Peter. And it's like, man, two and a half minutes. Okay? The, the, the whole thing, from, from Judas to the new command to Peter, two and a half minutes. One of Jesus' followers is going to initiate the betrayal. The other one is being informed that he's going to deny. And tucked in the middle of this sequence are these words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And I got to thinking about that. You know, Jesus talks about love a lot. You know, I mean, we already know the love thing. Like, like, right, love God first. That's the most important commandment, and the second is like it. Love my neighbor as I do myself. And, and, and did they just tune Jesus out in the moment? Oh, he's talking about love again. You know, wonder, wonder how the tight he'll wonder who's gonna get into the college football playoff. You know, well, I mean, what are they what were they thinking there when Jesus started talking about love again? Because here's the thing. You read John 13, 14, and 15, right up to Jesus leaving and going to the garden. Jesus mentions, talks about love over 20 times. I counted that too. And in three chapters, love is mentioned over 20 times. And so Jesus is making this emphasis on love. And twice in these three chapters, he says this, love one another just as I have loved you. Not as you love yourself or you can love one another. Because we love ourselves, but we also are very harsh on ourselves, and some people really struggle to love themselves. And we demonstrate that same love that I failed to love myself. We demonstrate that with other people. And so now this new commandment is take you off the board. Love each other. As I have loved you. He says this 
twice to me. So how did Jesus love me? Uh, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's what we have to figure out this morning. Love one another just as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love me? Well, I started thinking about this this week. It's actually something Caleb said at our sermon team that, that meets, that, that triggered this thought. How did Jesus love those disciples? Take disciples out of the picture and put me in the picture. How does Jesus love me? And so I just got to thinking about this. As you go, I'm going to just rattle these off. All right? This is how Jesus loves me. And I believe this probably applies to you. Uh, first off, Jesus, uh, he, he, he loves me at my absolute worst. And Paul wrote to the Roman church, right? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we are living over here in complete rebellion to God and can have nothing to do with God, He loves us at our worst that He sent His Son to die for us. While I'm over here doing the very thing that Judas did for a lot less money, because of His Love. He chose me at his worst. That's, that's one way he loves me. Second way he loves me, he chose me unconditionally. He did not sacrifice his love for me because of an outstanding, awesome person that I am. Hey, that Michael down there, let me tell you, he brings a lot to the table. So I'm going to sacrifice my love for him because I'll get a lot back. That's, that's not how it works with Jesus. He, he, he chose me in spite of all my flaws. He loves unconditionally. He did not sacrifice his love for me for what I can do for him. The third way Jesus has shown his love to me is that Jesus initiated the love. I got, I got to think about this. His love is always first. It's not like I get to sneak up on him and say, Man, I love you. He's already loving me. Now, being creator of the world gives him an edge on this one. All right, we, we give him that. But the, the fact that I have life, the fact that there's breath in my lungs, the fact that I woke up this morning is an example of his love for me, and he loved me first. The, the fourth way is the love of Jesus never gives up. Never gives up. It, it's maybe it's not all you know hugs and kisses and rainbows and butterflies. Maybe it's not all warm, snuggly feelings. So sometimes that love is is harsh. Sometimes that love is truth that needs to be said. Sometimes that love steps on some toes, and there's great conviction that comes with it. But his love never gives up. There's, there's no amount of wrong, there's no amount of wrongdoing of me turning my back on Jesus where love is not there. 
It will always be, no matter how wrong I am in this life, His love is there because it never gives up. And then His love speaks life into me. He's like, Michael, I want to invite you into a relationship with me. And you want to know what? You want to know who's going to benefit of Michael? You are. You are going to be the one who benefits from this relationship. I gain nothing out of you being a follower of mine, you being in a relationship with me. My love is going to speak life into your life. Because when, when I live my life the way that Jesus would live my life if he were me, that's going to give me the true life. I'm going to have a better quality of life. It may not be found in riches. It may not be found in nicer cars. It may not be found in greater health. Okay? But when I live my life the way Jesus would live my life, I'm going to experience this true life. It's only found in Him. And so we could probably come up with 20 more ways that Jesus loves me. I, I, I thought of those five. Just as I have loved you, he says, you are to love one another. So am I loving people at their worst? I mean, at their worst. Not, not when they're just having a bad day, not when they're over you know, their head on some things. And, and, am I loving people at their worst? Or am I seeing the worst and saying, hey, you know what, when you, get your, when you get your junk figured out, when you get your stuff dialed in, call me and I'll come back into your life because I really don't have a whole lot for you right now. Am I loving people at their worst? Because that, that's kind of the command. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And am I loving people unconditionally and not because of what they can do for me? Because let me tell you, man, I, I, if you bring some value to the table, man, I can love you. Right? Like, yeah, I mean, that's easy. Oh, wow. Man, they, they stroke big checks. They're tremendous servants. They're, they're, they're regulars at church. Man, I, I'm getting something out of this, so I'm willing to love them. Am I loving people unconditionally and not because of what they can do for me? Do I initiate the love toward people, or do I wait and see you know, what they can bring to the table? Is there value in them? Hey, they showed up to church a couple times. Let me, <clears throat> let me, let me see who they are. Or, or am I initiating the love. And, and, am I the one that's saying, oh, you're a child of God. I don't know your past. I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I don't know the baggage that you bring you know, into the, into the relationship. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because I was bringing baggage into the relationship and Jesus loved me first. Does my love ever give up on people? I mean, is there an end to, you know what, man, that love. Sometimes you got to be hard on love and you just got to let them go. 
fingers crossed they never come back. But does my love ever give up on people? Does my love speak life into others? Ooh. I mean, I mean does, does, does my actions toward other people, some who are very easy to love and some not so much, does my love speak life into others? Am I a blessing? Am I an encouragement? Am I a comfort? Am I present? Am I available? And, 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 and does the love that I have, does it, does it bring some assistance and help to this person's life? Let me tell you, church, y'all probably are already dialed in on this one, okay? I failed at all of these on occasion. I appreciate the grace of my own family right now who is holding in their amen. Fail. I, I, I fail at loving one another as he has loved me. So, Michael, what are we going to do about this? Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the thing? What's the, you know, if, if you know this, like you've heard this, you've read this before, you've taught on this subject before. How do I develop this love for others that Jesus had for me? Where's the formula? Well, thank you, Jesus. We don't have to go too far. A few minutes later, in the same conversation, actually, it's recorded in John chapter 15. This is what Jesus says, and let me tell you, he's not giving he's not giving the boys any chance to talk right now. It's just straight red letters, okay? It's Jesus. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in my words, remain in, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life 
for one thing. You are my father, but you do what I command. Now, I'm talking about love a lot. And it seems that there's kind of a, a, a shift in direction in teaching, and Jesus starts using this gardening analogy. I am the true grapevine, and you are, and, 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 uh, my father is the gardener and branches and fruit and things he's going through. But what's he bring it right back to? Love. And, and the fruit that Jesus is talking about in this passage is us bearing. All right. The fruit that we're talking about here is love. That's the fruit. And, and I know the phrase Jesus says in here, obey my father's commandments. I know that's in there. And it's implying that we are to keep all of them, like we don't just get to choose love, but love drives and is the foundation for all of them, okay? But he's talking about love here. The specific thing mentioned in this verse about bearing fruit is love. How do we bear fruit? I mean, is it just, a, I'm going to wake up today? What, I mean, what, what, what is it? Well, it's woven throughout this. Look back at verses three and four. He says, you are pruned and purified by what? The message I have given you. That's, that's, how, that's how we're pruned. That, that's how we're brought to a place where we can produce more fruit. By what? The message I have given you. Man, I wish I had access to that message. Now, I, 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 wish, that, I wish that there was some way that I could have what the disciples had in my own hands. And I could see the message of Jesus. And I could take it into my life because that's what prunes me. That's what purifies me. That's what allows me to love you better, church. I wish I had this. And then he says this, remain in me or abide. That's the... That's the real thing. We're to abide in me, and I will abide in you. You can search this if you want. It's, it's pretty funny. I, you go, go to Google, and you can ask questions like, how do I remain in Jesus? Or how do I abide in Jesus? You know what you're going to get? You're going to get 35 websites, and one's going to give you three, okay, three things to do to abide in Jesus. And one's going to... One's going to, uh, here's eight ways to abide in Jesus. And they're going to say things like this. Keep the faith. Well, I think about my daughter over here who's 13 years old. Stella, just keep the faith. Uh, what's that mean to her? I mean, what's that mean to any of us? Keep the faith. Yeah, we know what the word keep means, and we know what the word faith means. But right over here in the middle of what I've got going on, how is it that I am to remain in Him? And we give these little Bible churchy phrases things. I did read Dallas Willard one time, and he said this, that abiding in Christ means allowing His Word to fill our minds, direct our wills, which I know is the very thing I just complained about, and transform our affections. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with <clears throat> our bodies. 
then, of course, as Christ's Word dwells in us and the Spirit fills us, we will begin to love in a way that is consistent with the will of God. Our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do. That's what abiding in Him is. That's what remaining in Him is all about. How much of an effort am I making to absorb the Word of God into my life? Because now you jump to verse 7. It says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, They're red letter words too, so they're really Jesus words. He goes on to say, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. If my words remain in you. And here's the thing about bearing fruit and fruit being love and, and getting to the rest of this verse. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. God, I love my church so much. You just help me win the Powerball, man. I'll bless those people. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, our prayer life completely changes. That the asking for the things that we want completely changes. And my dad used to say, you want what you get. That I need that big wheel. <laughs> Ask for anything you want. And as I am abiding in him, Things I want suddenly begin to change. The priorities of the things that I crave and desire suddenly begin to change. And so my words, his words must <clears throat> remain in me. So I must, church, I must make the word of God in the time spent in it a priority. It's not something that I can occasionally visit. It's not something that I can hear on Sunday mornings and then coast through the rest of the week. The Word of God has to be the most influential source. <coughs> it <coughs> the Word of God has to be the most influential source of knowledge in our lives. If we're going to love one another as He has loved us, the Word of God has to be the most influential source of knowledge. As I said, with Well, man, I, you know, I, mean, I watched like 45 minutes of some TikTok videos this week, and 12 of them did, you know, have a Bible verse attached to it, so that counts for something, right? I mean, I, I'm doing my soap. Right? I mean, that, that's a good thing. I'm doing, I'm doing my soap, and Michael, I've increased it to two times a week. Let this rest with you a 
Okay, if, if I'm going to bear fruit, the abiding in him is the me, is me camping out. It's spending long amounts of time in the Word of God. But I don't have a lot of time. This Christmas season, I gotta work some overtime because you know I don't want to put too much of my Christmas, my kids' Christmas on credit card, that kind of stuff, and and you know, it's in the year and you know, whatever. Trying to get those hours in. I've got, you know, basketball, this, that, that. I just time is man, time, time, time. And we all make excuses. Tonight or this week, you meet in your life groups. You would tell the story about a father. A father who was taken advantage. demonstrated the love of Jesus to his returning father. It's got me thinking. What's the best way to wrap my mind around what the love for one another? Love one another as I have loved you. What, what's that really look like? What's Jesus asking? Here's what I came to. Amanda's going to love this. That in at least healthy situations, the love a parent has for his or her children is one of the best examples. I mean, after all, that's what God did, right? I mean, there's this family dynamic of father-son, and, and that remained all the way through Jesus' life here on earth, and it still remains to this day. That, that I am to love people. I am to love one another as I do my own children. Now, I know that God came down and he said, you know what? <clears throat> I love y'all so much. And I'm going to give my son as a sacrifice for your sins. Hold tight. <laughs> love y'all. And, and there are certain times that I would love to wring their little necks. Not 100% sure there's any sacrifices of my children for y'all. That, 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 that I'll sacrifice for them before I sacrifice mine. But then I got to think about this. So what if we don't sacrifice our kids for other people, but what if we sacrifice for other people the same way we do for our children. I love them at their worst. My parents love me at my worst. I love them unconditionally. When they clean the room or they don't clean the room. When they got told to clean the bathroom and they do a poor job of cleaning the bathroom. That never happens, but that's just an example. Like I love them. My love for them came first. I mean, y'all know it as parents, right? I mean, you're sitting there holding that little bundle of flesh. That, that little thing doesn't love you. It's crying and wants to be fed. But you have a tremendous amount of love for that little thing that keeps you up all night long. My love for them came first. My love for them does not, will not give up. Some of y'all are like, just wait, they'll test it. <laughs> 
I get it. My love for them speaks life into them, even if they don't understand. The sacrifice I make for them is the same sacrifice that I should make for them. A new command I give. Love one another just John chapter 4, you go take your communion packets out. A lot of, there's a lot of love in John's letter. A lot of love there. He writes this to Christians everywhere. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love. His love is perfected in you. If I love you as he loves me. That's what John tells us. He loved you so much that he became the propitiation. That's just atonement. Somebody had to be the sacrifice. Somebody had to take responsibility for, for our stuff. God said, you know what, my love is so great for them that we're going to handle that here. We're going to handle that in-house. We're going we're gonna to handle this with Jesus being the propitiation, the atonement. I'm going to take on their death. Because we think about that very fact. Jesus looking at us and saying, I'm taking on the responsibility know that the responsibility that he's taking on is our sin debt and our sin debt is 100% how we treat and view one another yeah some of them don't impact other people directly of course they all direct they all impact God but our sin our sin impacts the relationships that God has given to us Love these people as I have loved them. So as we go into a time of communion this morning, let's reflect on that. Jesus took the, the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. And then he took the cup. And this wine represents the blood of my body that washes away. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. It's hard to talk about love without your grace.
week, we literally sit in this moment with a wafer and, and, and a cup of juice. And we get to experience the memory of your love. It, it happened 2,000 years ago in, in, in a brutal, unimaginable way to us. But yet, it's still an example to this day as we reflect and remember on your love. God, may we love one another as you have loved us. God, it's just not going to happen. I'm not just going to wake up each day and say, I'm going to do it. It's not going to happen by, by willing it upon ourselves to love other people. May we spend this time abiding in you so that, that your word that we read, that the, the Holy Spirit that fills us, God, Convict us in the moments when love needs to be demonstrated. May we abide in you. Thank you for your word that transforms our lives. And I pray for a desire in my own life for it to be the most influential source of information.